I'm not giving that baby to a woman suspected of murder. Suspected, Maddie. Suspected. Doesn't that word mean anything My to mind you? is made Don't up. Don't you think you at least owe her the courtesy of listening to her anything. story? What are you doing? I'm doing what I should have done, done all along. What I wanted to do, do originally. originally. What I should have done last, last night. night. Stop that, David. I'm calling the police. The police, David. Hello, Hello, police. police? I hate you. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. We hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every week. Now, this is going to take several years, as you can imagine, so please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. We will also be releasing bonus episodes of interviews with creators, cast and crew to extend your listening experience. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are. And even if you have some trivia to disclose, our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. And we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's get started. Every time we start, I always imitate that lady. Recording in progress. <laughs> That's right. You sound just like her, too. <laughs> Snooty. <laughs> Recording in progress. Your American accent. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's begin. You ready for uh, Christmas in June? <laughs> yep. All right. Hello and welcome to this very special edition of Moonlighting the Podcast. We are live with some of our Moonlighting fans who are ready to go and watch us record. They have the opportunity to watch us uh, do an unedited version of our discussions, how we stuff up, we stumble our words, and they'll also get a chance to come on and add their view or on some of the scenes or ask us some questions. So first of all, I'd like to say thank you for being here. We appreciate the fact that you've taken the time to sit down with us and discuss this great episode. Twas the episode before Christmas. And of course, my beautiful co-host is here, Shauna. Hi, Shauna. What's happening? Excited to talk about this Christmas, epi- Christmas episode. <laughs> That's what we do all the time, too. Now you're going to see how Grace's editing is so good, because especially in the beginning, it's like an old car. You have to warm up. We're always stumbling over our words. So anyway, <laughs> Christmas in June. <laughs> yes, a great one of two Christmas episodes that Moonlighting did. This is the first one. The second one, It's a Wonderful Job. That's one that we watched on Facebook last Christmas, but we will, of course, have a podcast for it next season. Twas the episode before Christmas. It first aired on the 17th of December, 1985. It was directed by Peter Werner. It was written by Glenn Gordon Caron. The guest stars were Richard Beltzer, who played Leonard, Leslie Wing, who played Mary Goodman, James Avery, who was Reuben King, and Ralph Mayering Jr., who was Joseph Goodman. 
The synopsis of the episode, a man named Joseph, who is in the witness protection program, lives with his wife and baby in an apartment. The man who he testified against finds him and throws him over the balcony. His wife, Mary, and the baby manage to escape, and Mary takes the baby to Agnes's apartment to keep him safe, while Agnes is in the laundry room, then leaves. Mary then approaches Maddie and David to find her baby. During their investigation of Agnes's whereabouts, Maddie and David encounter the three kings, three FBI agents, all named King, at Agnes's apartment building, who are investigating the murder of Joseph to ensure that there was no foul play. Maddie then realizes where Agnes and the baby could be at Maddie's home under the Christmas tree, which is under a huge star. Unfortunately, the killer is also there waiting for Maddie to come home with information about the whereabouts of the mother of the baby. David makes a great entrance and impersonation of Santa Claus, or as he says, Santa Claus, and comes down the chimney only to find the three kings also dressed up as Santa Claus who have come to save the day by putting the killer under arrest. The final minutes of this episode is another example of moonlighting breaking the fourth wall as Bruce and Sybil walk out of Blue Moon onto the rest of the soundstage where all the cast, crew and their families are gathered for a special segment singing the first Noel in a cappella to wish the viewers a very Merry Christmas. That's right. It's a nice beginning up until a certain time. The first Noel music beginning with the apartment filled with gifts, uh, the Christmas tree, stockings on the mantelpiece. And I like how Alf changes the music from the first Noel to a more sinister first Noel. He changes the the music a little bit when the limo rolls up. Yeah. We know that something bad is about to happen. The only thing I did notice is that when they hear something, the bad guys walk in, the camera shows a shadow walking past the gifts, but there's no way they would be on that side of the apartment (laughs) because they'd be at the front door. Yeah, as the limo pulls up, kind of that extra piano, like, don't, don't, you know, don't, don't, yeah, definitely like a change of music there that, you know, and then it kind of goes back into like the soft first Noel, definitely setting the scene of the Christmas episode with the cookies, with the stockings, with the, the tree and all of that stuff. The camera angles, one thing that stood out to me, the camera angles, you know, and they've talked about before in the commentary, how the bad guys look really bad if you film them from below. But they're like on the floor. That This is like the steepest we've ever gone with uh, yeah. these camera angles on the bad guys, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like Richard Belzer's like, you know, yeah, practically right from there. his knees, you know? Mm. Yeah. So I thought that was really funny and interesting. They just went really extreme with the low camera angles on the bad guys. Yeah, it's pretty sinister with uh, pouring the alcohol down the man's throat. Here it is almost Christmas and they throw him off the balcony. He's got a wife. He's got a baby. And the wife wants to get her and the baby out of there. And she does, you know, she sneaks out with the baby and runs down the hall. And then as they're throwing the husband off the balcony, they notice that there's a crib and the picture of the wedding and all of that stuff. And, you know, Richard Belzer's character is like married, a bambine or, you know, some very Glenn language Mm -hmm. (laughs) somewhere in there. So then he decides to run after them. The other guy takes care of the husband and he meets her in the stairwell. She's running up. He's chasing her and she knows it. But um, also we, we cut to Depesto somewhere in there, probably yeah, around cuts, this point. It cuts up and back to Agnes. Yeah. yeah. And I love her little yeah. Christmas outfit. She's so cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her little um, kind of stocking hat and onesie <laughs> outfit. Yeah. And then now we get a different Christmas song. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. And I like how she sings it when she's walking out of the apartment. She does a little, she says, doobadoo in between the words. She's so cute. And I love the little jump she does in the corridor. 
I know. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, and, and um, yeah, some people are chiming in the bells on her feet. That's right. Oh, and, yes. yeah. And Joseph's row was very fitting for his character. Yeah, exactly. Because we all are working with like an allegory here, you know, Joseph, Mary and the three kings and, and the star and, and Andrew. <laughs> yeah. We find out. Andrew, huh? <laughs> Andrew. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They threw in as much as they could to make it as Christmassy as possible. And so what they make sure to kind of show us that Agnes leaves her door open. She kind of stops it from closing all the way. Right. Yes. And then she goes to the laundry room. Yeah. And she's right down the hall and it seems like it's kind of the middle of the night. She's doing laundry late. And that's why, thank God she wears her keys around her neck. mm -hmm. Yeah. She brought her keys and uh, Mary with the baby run down the hallway into her apartment. We see that. And Belzer crashes into the laundry room where Agnes is doing her laundry. And then oh, he apologizes to her. And then she makes her way back down to her apartment. And her door is closed, of course. She makes her way in and she finds... Finds a baby. A baby. A baby in her, I guess, other laundry basket. <laughs> yes. And I love her reaction. Wow. It's like, oh, <laughs> I've just grown a baby. Yeah. I know, or this uh, up here. It is a very sinister beginning to the episode. Yeah, Danielle says, yeah, it's a really dark beginning. Yeah, I mean, taking the husband, pouring liquor down his throat. And then, and we also kind of get the setup of the witness protection program and they've caught up with him and he didn't want to testify, he said. So yeah, Mm -hmm. so we kind of get a sense of like what's going on with him and the family and all of that. Yeah. It sounded like he was his cohort. uh, They were in cahoots together and he's gone against him. He's a cook as well. He was supposed to, yeah, testify and he didn't want yep. to. Yeah, so they put him in the witness protection program, but they've caught up with them. Yeah, so Richard Beltzer, everybody would know him as John Munch from Homicide Life on the Streets. He did 122 episodes from 93 to 99. And then he revised that role in Law and Order Special Victims Unit. He's been around for a very long time, great accomplished actor. His career goes back to 1974. And guess what? He is Henry Winkler's cousin. No way. Yes way. Gosh, I, yeah. Hmm. I want to see a little resemblance there. Yeah. All right. Move on from that scene and legs out of the elevator. Yay. Our first <laughs> from behind. legs out of the elevator. From behind, which from we don't behind. get that shot a lot. That's interesting how yeah. they did it from behind. They don't often do that. Not in the future anyway. Yep. Kind of watching her walk out of the elevator exit. And Maddie is singing Santa Claus is coming to town really badly. By the okay, way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure. I thought like it was kind of getting that song there, but I wasn't sure exactly what she was singing. So that's what it was. huh? She happens to be singing exactly the same one as Agnes. So she's humming that and she seems very upbeat and got to, you know, pep in her step and all of that. And uh, yes, um, April's mentioning her outfit. That satiny outfit is nice for Christmas. Yes. Nice outfit for, for Maddie. But anyway, she seems pretty jolly until she gets to the blue moon window. Which the blinds happen to be up. Yeah. Which they never That's are. Right. And, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Not normally. Yeah. Um, all the way up. We can see the Christmas tree, the wreath on the door. She And you hear a lot of like hubbub going on in there. Yes. Um, they're all running around. They run off their feet. And when you listen to it with the AirPods, you can hear what they're saying. Like one of them saying, yeah, but it's true. I am Santa or, you know. 
whatever. But it's funny <laughs> when you see the shot and they're all running around and there's all this talking. There's nobody talking. You know what all I mean? Right. All the, okay. the extras are just yeah. like this. They're not even saying anything. All right. <laughs> Yet there's all these words coming out of mouth. It's just hilarious. Anyway, I just yeah. thought that was it funny. Hear the chatter. So she's kind of wondering, well, you know, a blue moon looks really busy today. Hmm. And she's kind of wondering why. And she walks in. And from what she's hearing, like that Santa's hotline, as the camera pushes in on her face, her face changes, like Goes close. Happy now. Yeah. really zooms in really like fast zoom into onto Maddie's face. Sybil does a great angry face. Yeah, <laughs> she has to. She's playing Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she looks great in this episode for the most part, but I still think this is a point where we see that they're getting pretty tired. I think, you know, she looks a bit tired in this episode. Yeah, and they've done what they can with makeup, but what they've done is put, I feel, just my opinion, I feel they've just put too much makeup on her and she's blurry. You can't hide when somebody's tired. Like even the last episode, you could just tell she was, it was getting to that stage, it was getting too much, So, which is understandable. Oh, yeah. I mean, we kind of mentioned before, um, but might have been another taping. Since season one, they've been going pretty much straight through. I don't, I don't think it was too much of a break between season one and season two. So here we are, December. And then, you know, after January, they filmed Tupperman. And then they have a DePesto episode. That's when we start getting longer and longer breaks between each episode. Two weeks, three weeks, a whole month. So yeah, they're definitely slowing down a bit, getting pretty tired. And you can, you can see it in her face a bit. Although she's, still, of course, very beautiful. Yeah, there was a break so. between Portrait of Maddie and Atlas Belched, at least three weeks and then but a week between atlas belched and twas the episode yeah yeah so it's starting to slow down a little bit yes and then tupperman's maybe about a month later or so Mm. but anyway let's continue on this one so we cut to david in his office (laughs) (laughs) he never ceases to amaze me so tell me angry you've been good you've been good a lot you ever been great angry would you like to be? <laughs> like to be? Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say, guys, the only downfall of watching us do this episode live is that you don't get the snippets because I add the snippets yeah. in when I'm editing. So what I do is I imitate the actor and then <laughs> I replace it with the snippet. So unfortunately, on today I'm David and I'm Sybil. Okay. <laughs> That's the way it goes. Yeah. So David, he's got a great idea. Santa's hotline, you know, make some money. He's always trying to find a way to make Bloom and some money. But also, of course, he's got to see if he can get a date for himself in there. But use it as a dating, a dating scene too, I guess. So he's on the phone with Ingrid and Maddie slams in. First door slam. (laughs) But I like how he says, um, three days from tonight, I'll be the one in red. And he's like, yeah, "Yeah, you got that right. Because she's going to kill him. (laughs) No, I think um, she says, you got that right, because he says morning. Morning? Yeah, he says morning, and she says, you got that right. Morning, like morning, like a death. Oh, I didn't take it that way. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I took yes. it like I'll be the one in red because she's, <laughs> she's going to kill him. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> oh, I don't yeah. know. Just take what you want from Moonlighting, guys. You just, you know. You got it. Three days from tonight, I'll be the one in red. Morning. You got that right. They're always explaining that morning thing. He even does it later in the episode with that morning, you know, morning, Electra. Mm. You know, I think it's the morning double, double meaning morning, but 
Yeah. And of course, he can see right away that she's not happy. <laughs> Shot in the dark. And he's got that like his uh, Jersey accent comes out there a lot. You know, mm. you're not happy. Yeah. His accent comes out a lot in these episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vicky's saying, he says, head elf. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Elf, thank yeah. you. Yeah, see, that's yeah. one I, that's, I did he not know. He says it really it like, fast. Head elf. Okay, thank you. Yes, head elf. All right. Thank you, Vicky. That was definitely one. Did you know that, Grace, or did you get it from your subtitles? Or I got it from the subtitles a long time ago because I went to check because it was very fast dialogue and I couldn't work out what the hell he was saying. So, yeah, yeah. head elf. Okay. Gotta go head off, just walked in and shouldn't look happy. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if, if this is some other reference, like a woman's name or something. Head up, yeah, I didn't know what he was saying. Okay, that makes sense. Good. Head off, this is why it's fun. good. Why they should be here to help us, you know? Yeah, I know. We need this, we need the support. <laughs> we can't catch everything. I love it how she's wondering what's going on, and he tells her, and she says, Oh, I see. And he goes, You do? She goes, No, I don't. I just wanted to see how it felt. <laughs> <laughs> love that. Yeah. She moves the plant and she's like, it doesn't feel any different. Yeah, she moves the poinsettia and, you know, basically, David, what is going on? Santa's hotline. Santa's what line? And this is where she starts insulting him, like she yeah. always does. Do you ever notice you answer a question with a question? You ever notice you answer all my questions with a question? I do. <laughs> <laughs> Many's a nice. night I sat up thinking. Many's a night I sat up thinking. Imagine sitting and thinking. And then last night it hit me. Left a bruise, I hope. Left a bruise, I hope, by now, yes. She wants to hit him herself, I think. Okay, can somebody explain this to me? David's trying to explain who is the last beacon of hope, of fantasy, of joy, still left out there in the world. And she says... Steven Spielberg. And he says... Santa Claus! Mm -hmm. Why would she say Steven Spielberg? I thought because at the time he was a big director doing like all those, you know, like E.T. and lots of um, nostalgic uh, children's films at that time, I think. Anyone? fantasy films and tv yeah some yeah, people just, says i'll just okay probably just the, the really big director at the time i mean we'd have to see what big holiday movies were out to but out at that time but yeah steven spielberg santa claus <laughs> <laughs> so david is trying to explain to her that not as well at the north pole and they're now in a state of technology and global travel and split second communications he goes you're a child Watch it. Watch it. (laughs) No one writes anymore. The funny thing is about this part, I thought was, you know, even for the 80s, I wrote technology wise, everything has changed even in the 80s. Nobody writes anymore. Mm. Everyone's too busy, you know, doing this, that and the other, you know, whatever he said, you know, studying for the SATs, et cetera, et cetera. The world is moving forward. And so that's why we need Santa's hotline. Yeah. they're too busy Plus studying for sats and applying for credit cards and going through detox i would go through detox yeah exactly. the joys of childhood <laughs> i know i know it's, now, it's a funny back and forth yeah. i want to read this out because i don't know how he does it he says this so fast yeah it's really fast by simply dialing a convenient 900 number, children from all over the world can converse directly and in total privacy with old St. Nick or one of his personally appointed helpers, all for the low, low price of $1.75 a minute, plus the cost of the toll call. Prices may vary outside the continental United States. You like? I hate. How the hell did he say that so fast? And that's where Santa's hotline comes in. By simply dialing our convenient 900 number, children from all over the free world can converse directly and in total privacy with old St. Nick or one of his personally appointed helpers all for the low, low price of $1.75 a minute plus the cost of the toll call. Prices may vary outside the continental United States. Oh my gosh, I know. 
the dialogue. And we know they didn't have a, a long time to learn it. No. Oh, okay. So Danielle's saying in the script, because I think Danielle has most of the scripts, it says um, of detox in the script, it says applying for tax shelters. Tax shelters. I wonder why they changed it. I know. Could be easier to deliver. I don't know. Or mm. sometimes there might be options. Um, but yes, he's very fast. I mean, the dialogue, especially in, in the office, is so fast. I think they just tried to go faster each episode. And like Glenn said, Bruce is kind of musical. And I think that's how he can kind of pull it off. He hits those beats. She's like, you like? I hate. And then there's a so nose to nose. Yeah. They're like, so close. I love it when they do that. I know. I know. This one's like even closer than normal. Like when she turns her head, her hair swipes his face. I just wrote, she's pissed off and he's loving it. Just when I think you've sunk as low as you can go, you find a basement door. That's great. So they walk into the outer office and Maddie says, You have the morals of a rabbit, the character of a slug, the brain of a platypus. (laughs) She's so mean. (laughs) Little platypus. (laughs) No, but she's angry. He's trying to make a profit out of Christmas, which, okay. Yeah, that's true. I'm 50-50 on that one. (laughs) They're having fun, but yeah, they're profiting off Christmas. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Seven throws a mistletoe along the way, so he's so not caring at all that she's pissed off at all. You know, he's planning on kissing her anyway. (laughs) (laughs) The mistletoe theme seems to go through the episode. It's flying around the office, and it finally gets to him at the end. He says something that I couldn't catch, if anyone else knows, right? As the camera angle is changing, and he's holding up the mistletoe, and he says, you're making me blush something. Did anyone catch that, what he says? After she's saying the slug, you know, the brain's the platypus, and he says, "You're making me something," and the dialogue oh. is lost. If anyone knows. oh, maybe she because she talks over him. Is that why? Blush. blush. Okay, so okay. Yeah, he also blush. Yeah. Okay, that's I'm, yeah. I was just guessing. You're making me blush. I like how he says, "It's easy. You called a phone company and place, and I had the whole thing cranking about an hour and a half." The whole thing cracking, I think, in, in an hour and a half. <gasps> I just want to scrape you off the bottom of my shoe. <laughs> oh, and yeah, she like hits the mistletoe away. They're walking to their respective offices and little Andrew cries. Did you hear a baby? Did you hear a baby? And you know what's amazing about this scene is that the staff get to talk. I know. Did you hear a baby? Yeah. So they say. Did you hear a baby? It was so exciting to hear them talk because they're always mute. You know, they're not allowed to say anything. So they would have got paid a bonus that day. I was going to say, maybe that was their Christmas bonus. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) They got got some uh, dialogue to say. If I was one of them, I would have said, can we say something today? Because Christmas. Yeah, they're kind of like the baby's crying and they're kind of like playing it up. Like, where's that crying coming from? (laughs) And then the phone rings and we get an Agnes rhyme. She seems a little stressed. (laughs) <laughs> he does. And I'm going to read it out because I really like this little rhyme. And then I'll put the snippet yeah. in. Yeah. What does it say? I won't say it as good as she does, but Santa's hotline. Ho, ho, ho. We're here to listen. So, so, so. Tell me what you want. Tell me what you like. A new baby doll or a shiny new bike. Just tell me what it is. I'll tell you know who. And if you've been good, he'll bring it to you. <laughs> Santa's got hotline. Ho, ho, ho. We're here to listen so, so, so. Tell me what you want. Tell me what you'd like. A new baby doll or a shiny new bike. Just tell me what it is. I'll tell you who. And if you've been good, he'll bring it to you. He'll bring it to you. <laughs> the baby's crying and she's trying to get their head. <laughs> I think I need to talk to somebody about a maternity leave. 
Yeah, she's kind of trying to act like the baby's not there for a minute and, and then she picks it up and says, you know, I don't know about you guys, but the um, the crying stresses me out, that baby. You know, the baby's like screaming. Yeah. The baby always looks so calm when they show it. You know, the baby really wasn't a screamer at all. And we see the baby in the bloopers. He's holding it. Seems like I think it was twins. Oh, they usually are twins that they use. Yeah, I think they had know. twins playing the baby. But anyway, okay. So, and then that would be the first commercial break. So yeah, people have added in along the way. Anyone else notice something that we maybe haven't mentioned? Any other commentary up, up until now with the episode? I like that you guys are chiming in along the way because it, that helps. That's great. More Love sense. it. <laughs> Thanks, Danielle. Oh, what was on Joseph's robe? I didn't look. April. Was it just the color? The color and the fit, it looked like biblical robe. Even though it's a modern robe, it really suits the time, what the feel, look and feel, what they're going for. Oh, with that okay. aesthetic. Yep. That's what I meant by that. Oh, yeah. okay, cool. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. And Judy says, I like when the baby is crying and David is looking all around. <laughs> I know. It's like he can't tell where it's coming from. Did you hear a baby? I wonder if the, they added those sound effects in later or. Um, Danielle, are you talking about Sybil and Bruce sounding sick? Yeah, like later, yeah. ladies, first of all, <laughs> um, yeah, like they're driving in the car and they're on the way yes. back to her house. Mm. His like voice is cracking. They sound sick, like they yeah. have a cold. Yes. Yeah. I didn't or, notice her, but I noticed him. He sounds croaky, like he's really forcing his words out. He's got a cold. He wants to go home. Yeah. Yes. And mm. I also noticed it on a different episode, too. I don't know. I can't remember which one. Oh, um daughter's father is a virgin where yeah. she sounds oh, sick too. i think i've noticed that before with her yeah <laughs> but you're awesome ladies so good <laughs> uh, thank you thank you thanks for being thank here you. another place that i think glenn said bruce was sick was when um in atomic when he was singing good lovin he was really sick that day yes apparently he had a temperature yeah you can see sybil you know she's got like the dark circles under her eyes and I, yeah just they look exhausted they're in every scene and they've been doing it for a long time so I don't know if you've answered this question, but um, April, yeah, we did find the answer to Atlas Belched. It's Atlas Shrugged, a book. Atlas Shrugged, yeah. Yeah. That one seemed obvious once some people mentioned it. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah. It didn't dawn on either one of us, but I've definitely heard no. of Atlas Shrugged. I just didn't think about it. That's good. That's what we got the fans for to answer our questions. <laughs> I know. And I agree. Uh, Danielle says sick looks good and sounds good on him. <laughs> and <laughs> even sick, they both look great. So. <laughs> you were saying that too. Um, Grace. <laughs> you forgot Forget my name. <laughs> Who are you? Um, in Atlas Belched. Remember you said that Bruce looked hungover. Sometimes he looks hungover too. Oh, I'm sorry, but that scene, he's been out the night. Yeah, the scene in the bar, he looks he's For sure he, he has. Yep. Yes, I'm sure of it. I think in um, the beginning of the one where he goes to New York, um, Big Man, um, I think he was late and hungover in that episode too in the beginning. Mm. Just like the character. Okay, well, anyways, should we continue? Continue. Next scene. We're in Maddie's office. Jingle bells. And Agnes is singing jingle bells to the baby. And Maddie's like, it's clear what we have to do. And <laughs> Agnes goes, do you smell something? <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, so she wants to call the police. And David's being really sweet to Agnes here by saying maybe the person knew exactly who they were leaving the baby with. He's always on Agnes's side, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, he's kind of enamored with the baby and she's saying, yeah, maybe we should call the police. And he's saying, well, maybe the mother knew just who she was leaving the baby with. But on the other hand, it may just be that whoever left this baby knew exactly what they were doing and exactly who they were leaving it with. 
Thanks, Mr. Addison. Agnes definitely gives him a sweet look there. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Addison. That was sweet. And up until this point, we don't get a lot of scenes with the three of them together in the same room. So it is nice to have Agnes like more part of the group, seeing all three of them act together, I guess. Or yeah, so we see a lot of Agnes in this episode, which is great. And I love seeing at least all three of them together in Maddie's office, which was terrific. Love that. And Mm -hmm. later on, which I'll talk about. So Maddie wants to talk to David in the hall. Yeah. So again, another insult. She takes him out to the outer office and she has no right keeping this baby and you know it. He goes, I don't know anything. Will you put that in writing? (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) More insults. Yes. And did you see the look in Agnes's eyes? They were both pointing in the same direction for once. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. They're always bagging on Agnes. He says that affectionately though. Of course. They love Agnes and he loves Agnes. Yeah. He just could tell that Agnes really was enjoying having that baby. And he's really protective of that. David's worried about who the mother might be. Maddie, of course, just thinking they should call the police. I guess she just kind of sticks with that, right? And his idea is to leave the baby with Agnes and go look for the mother. (laughs) And how do we do that? How are we going to do that? Yeah. Look for the mother. How are we going to do that? You know what? As I've said before, we should have counted those as well. What? And how do we do that? How are we going to do that? How do I do that? How many many times? What are we going to do now? (laughs) Unbelievable. How are we going to do that? We're detectives, remember? That was good. That was funny. So he suggests that they go to Agnes's house for clues. And (laughs) I love how Maddie says it takes money to look after a baby. Find the mother. And how are we going to do that? We're detectives, remember? We go to Agnes's house and look for clues. And what about DePesto? What does she know about taking care of a baby? It's the first time for everything. It costs money to take care of babies. So you give her a raise. Well, she has a tiny apartment. So they can stay at your place. They can what? (laughs) (laughs) What? But do you notice when he shuts the door, somebody's behind. You can see that somebody's there, but it's Uh, not her. She moved away. So I don't know why there's somebody behind the door. By the way, there's a few door wranglers in this episode. Yes, they had yep. people standing there to make the door shut or stay open or slam. Or, All right, then we move on to a wonderful car talk. Yeah, this is where she's got the full-on eye makeup. Yeah, kind of sitting, you know, just looking really mopey and unhappy, I guess. I don't know. Mm. He's really surprised at her attitude. Yeah. He doesn't know what her attitude is. He doesn't know what her attitude is, Grace. So how can you be surprised? How can you be surprised about my attitude about children when you don't know what my attitude is? Yeah, well, because he says, cute kid, and she goes, yeah, I suppose. Cute kid, huh? Excuse me? That baby. It's cute, huh? Yeah, sure. I suppose. Yeah, sure. You suppose? So that was his entry to say, well, you know what? You're not excited about this child? And she said, well, she's not one to be excited about. You know, so they start this fine, fine, good, good, usual thing. Yeah. Yes. But right at the beginning of the scene, you know, she's kind of like this. And he's kind of looking at her and like feeling out like what's with Maddie. Now, why do you think he was digging and wants to know this information about like, is she into babies? And is it his own personal knowledge? Or is he just surprised to see how Maddie reacted to a baby? Because maybe he expected her to be more excited or be more maternal or... He just really seems like it's bothering him and he really wants to dig and find out more about like why Maddie wasn't excited about this baby. Well, maybe he's thinking of the future. If he finally nabs her, she needs to be maternal. (laughs) Yeah, he's kind of trying to find out if she wanted to have a baby. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. The funny thing, well, this scene, 
So I teach English and I've taught in different countries. And I, you might know I came back from Shanghai not too long ago, but um, I was working in Korea a few years ago and I took clips of different episodes. And then I made a worksheet where there were words missing and my students had to listen and fill in the words. And I used this car scene as one of them, as one of the like listening exercises. <laughs> and my students loved it. Oh, yeah. It's a really good like back and forth conversation where they have to really like listen, like in hard to hear the words. So every time this scene comes on, I always think of that too, because I've seen it over and over again because of that listening exercise I put together. That's a great exercise that people that are learning English. That's terrific. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun for me. Then I get to play moonlighting in my classroom, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Any excuse to watch moonlighting. Any excuse to show moonlighting. I know exactly. It's like, who is this? And and that, that was about 2012. And they knew who Bruce Willis was. And I heard one of my students saying like, oh, he's so good looking. Mm-hmm. And, um, but now when I mentioned Bruce Willis, you know, they don't know who he is anymore. It's kind of funny. Like in the last 10 years, he's kind of lost his star. But anyway, I love this car talk. If you but, wanted to have a know, child, I life. would help. I mean, if you wanted to have a child. But I don't. But if you did. But I don't. But, but did, I don't. But if you did. That. I would help. You would, huh? What are friends for? That's not the kind of help I need. She doesn't need that kind of help. She does need that kind of help. That's the thing. It's interesting. Yeah, she needs that kind of help, especially from him. Um, It's kind of interesting, the conversation, because it's interesting to hear her say she doesn't think it'll ever happen. So at her age, 35-ish in the show, she's kind of thinking that she may never have kids and probably will never happen. She lives alone. She runs a business. She's busy. You know, but he's like shocked, like, what? You wouldn't have a baby? You know, if you met someone and you wanted to have a baby, I would help. You get a lot of insight into both of them here. And they're talking about having a baby. I mean, it's Maddie and David. How great is that? Yeah. Even though they're not talking about them to having a baby, the fact that they're talking yeah. about babies is great. We want more of that. Uh, yes. So you guys like this scene, this car talk? Um, let's see. I think there are tons of points. David just wants her to confide in him. Yeah, true. Like in Blonde on Blonde, like, talk to me. She doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, she always puts a barrier up. Yeah. Oh, and uh, yeah, Vicky says, love it. Um, he is always interested in what she really thinks. And very important key dialogue. He says, you happy? He asks her that a lot. And or he'll say, well, as long as she's happy, yeah. you know. So, yes, he's very much checking in on are you happy? Do you want to have a baby and things like that? I think he senses that she's not happy right. in her life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's trying yeah. to get that out of her. So Judy says, did he mean that kind of help at first, but then she didn't seem interested. So he changed what he meant. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. She wasn't biting for him. So he was like, no, no, no. Like if you met someone. Yeah. It was a good save. Yeah. Trying to see what a reaction would reaction be like a would test. Be. Yeah. I, I agree. He's a bit of a chauvinist. Yeah. And yes. And she turns it on him and is like, you'll have the baby, right? Like you wouldn't have the baby for me. You mean you wouldn't have the baby for me? <laughs> <laughs> like, why don't you have the baby, David? And he's like, oh, I would if I could. You know, that's how he can help. Yeah. <laughs> well, he said he'd hold the fort around the office for her. So, you know, she could look after the baby. Yep. And um, Danielle says it's a deeper conversation, but I think that it's an early example of how she avoids intimacy, not him. Yeah. He is more open than her in the beginning. Of course, we get to season five and it's like, Dave's afraid of intimacy, which really never, no one ever said, but okay. We won't go that far. We won't talk about season five. Yes. <laughs> we get ahead of ourselves, <laughs> aren't we? <laughs> I know. Yeah, we have to think of them, you know, as a whole character, right? 
when Atlas Belched comes out tomorrow, at the end, we start saying, oh, we're going to be talking about towards the episode before Christmas. And we start talking about it. And we go, hang on a minute, we're going to stop because <laughs> we're so excited. Yeah, don't talk about it. Yeah. We'll do that just on a side conversation when we're not taping where we start talking about an episode. We, go, we shouldn't be talking about this right now. No, no. <laughs> and that's one thing Shauna and I don't do is talk too much about each episode because it'll spoil the yeah. spontaneity when we're actually recording. So we don't rehearse anything. She does her thing, writes her notes about it, and I'll do mine. And that way it works out better. And she notices things I don't and vice versa. So it works out better like that. Yeah. Yeah. We get some fine, fine, good, good. Fine, fine, good, good. We get one in there. We get two in this episode, but just one here, right? I forget where the second one is. But anyway, usual moonlighting dialogue. Oh, April, you got no idea. <laughs> oh, I watch it once normally, but I've seen it a million times and I take notes. Yeah. I usually watch it one more time before. Yeah. The first time I just watch it. Then I probably watch it another two times. And then the fourth time I'll sit and watch it again to make sure that I haven't missed any goofs or, or if there's some dialogue I've missed. Because even last night I watched it again and I noticed something else. I probably go overboard, but I just want to make sure I don't miss anything. This week I watched it twice. I just sat and watched it once and then took notes. But normally I'll just watch it once and take notes. And April's asking, do you do it back to back, Grace? Or do you do it different days? Or do you wait like a couple hours in between? Or Oh, no, this, that, is, like- over a, this is over a space of a week, probably, when I've okay. got time. And sometimes, because I'm always rewinding, rewinding, go back, rewind, I'll probably only do not even 10 minutes of an episode in one day because it just takes believe it or not, because the dialogue is so dense, I have to go back so many times to grab what they're saying. So if you actually try doing it, it's really time consuming. With Moonlighting, you can't just sit there and, all right, I'm just going to take some notes as I watch it. You can't do it that way. You absolutely can't. You have to stop it, rewind it. And then I take notes on certain sentences because I have to say them and then I put the snippet in. So that's my way of doing it. But Shauna's got her way. That's it. Yeah. That's what we do. A lot of you guys have seen the, the videos that I have on YouTube. I had to go through the episodes a lot to get the right scenes. So I think that was like my, my initial you know, training yeah. for this podcast because like now I can say, oh, that scene, that's in episode two of season three. It's like I kind of know the episodes backwards and forwards now. That's, I think, why I'm able to pretty much just watch it once and take notes. But I mean, the social media, the podcast takes most of the time, I think. Yeah, we try and keep it alive, keep always on there, interact with you guys and talk moonlighting. That's what we love to do. It's a great escape from everything. All right. So anything else? I know you guys are putting your comments here, but anything about this car talk? Uh, Yes, we love doing it. It's so much fun. I mean, it's our passion. Like, I mean, you guys. Thanks, Vicky. Thanks, Judy. Thanks, Danielle. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, the car talk, it is one of the best car talks, definitely. I mean, there's so much insight there. Uh, when they get to DePesto's apartment building, they do that squeeze through the doorway thing that they do once in a while. He's not being you a know? gentleman in this episode. But don't you think it's a comedy thing that they do? Yeah. Don't you think this is kind of like a physical comedy thing they do? They kind of stopped doing it, but they did it a lot to me. I'm reading into it. But there were some inside jokey things that they would do on set, I think. You know, that they would, maybe it's like a throwback to other comedies from before and and stuff like that. When we talked to Glenn, I was kind of trying to get out of him. Like, was all of that planned? Was that like scripted or was that when they're blocking the scene, I guess, Sybil and Bruce or the director or somebody would say, 
why don't you walk in together, squeeze through together or something? Any thoughts on that? Always interested, like, how do they decide to do those things? Because they're not done all the time, but they did do it in Tupperman and they did it here. Yeah, because yeah. in Murders in the Mail, he opens the door for her. Now, he's usually a gentleman. I yeah, I think it's definitely scripted just to add a bit of physical comedy to it. But she didn't seem very upset that he didn't open the door for her. They just walk through and they just, she just looks at him. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. He's looking for the apartment key and one of the kings is there. It's uh, Reuben King. Yeah, it's Reuben King. They're playing husband and wife, Mr. and Mrs. DePesto from 723. 723. So he was very quick on his feet to say, oh, Mr. and Mrs. DePesto, so yeah. he could find out what was going on. So that, I thought that was good. Mm-hmm. And he asked them to come up to 316. Which means that Mary walked up four flights of stairs. Yes, which later I was going to say, she says, oh, I knew the woman that lived there looked really nice and stuff like that, but how would they ever really bump into each other and know each other if they lived four floors apart in an apartment building when she was like rushing? And I don't know, I guess, I don't know. Maybe she didn't know Agnes lived there, but it just seemed like really their apartments were pretty far apart. Well, I think she said she knew Agnes from the building. They might have yeah, passed each they... other downstairs or something. Yeah, maybe. True, true. So they go up to the apartment. They meet the other two kings. So they meet Saul, Jim, and Reuben King. So now we've got the three kings. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're getting more of the allegory, right, with the three kings. Joseph. Now, Mr. Goodman. Joseph Goodman. So what is that? He was a good man. He was a good man. Yeah. Even though he's a crook. He fell off the balcony and the Department of Justice is wondering if there was any foul play. And they think that Maddie and David live in the building. So they're wondering if they saw anything. I like how Reuben introduces the, the kings and they introduce King, King, yeah. King. Saul King. Jim King. And your name again? Reuben King. Three kings. That's right. Two aces, you win. <laughs> <laughs> and then Maddie goes, Mr. King. Huh? All three of them together. <laughs> <laughs> then they find out about the baby and um, you folks don't know anything, do you? Who, us? Dumb and Dumber? You folks don't know anything, do you? Us? Dumb and Dumber? We don't know a thing. Wait a minute, who's Dumber? <laughs> <laughs> now, do you think that was the end of the scene? I reckon it was cut there. It doesn't seem like that would have been... All right, Danielle's looking for me, I can tell. Danielle's got the script. Got the script in hand, Danielle. <laughs> yeah, I do have it. No, that's the end of the scene. It's the end it's of the scene. It goes to the car. Okay. It just seems like okay. they would have told them a bit more information after that. I don't know. That I just felt that the scene cut off real quick, but that's that's okay. That's just me. All right. It does say shot cut to. So it's meant to end that way. And then okay. it goes right to the car. Thank you. And suddenly it's nighttime. So okay. suddenly they're back in the cards dark. However, that happened. Maddie thinks the mother is gone. Now she thinks that mother's not coming back. And then she always says, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I should have called the police. Of course, she blames David because that's what she wanted to do from the beginning. Yeah, she feels like now she's an accomplice because the baby's at her place. Yeah, they're still trying to figure out what happened. Of course, they don't know. They're thinking maybe the mother killed the father and now they've got the baby and she's going to be mixed up with it and um, be an accomplice to something. And David is trying to talk to her. I guess he's trying to talk her into not calling the police until the morning so Agnes can enjoy the evening with the baby, but she doesn't want to. Yeah, I've written here, this is a really tense scene. It's getting really deep and dark, this conversation. He's adamant that she just is begrudging Agnes a night with the baby. 
and she's doing it on yeah. purpose. And they're both really angry and tense and she just wants him to drop her off at her place and she's going to tell Agnes and call the police. Really yeah. angry. Like she's like, well, you're wrong. And she glares at him like the look, yeah. the Sybil look. <laughs> but I don't, I don't totally, so I want to get your guys' opinion about this scene because I don't totally understand. Yeah, okay, he is being rough on her like, right, you know. But then when he looks at her and she's like, well, you're wrong. So what, what is he trying to, what's the look about? Is he trying to say that she's mean, that she's jealous that the pet, I don't know, what, what's the deal? I don't understand what, uh, what he's saying to her, that she's not maternal, that she doesn't understand that DePesto needs a night with that baby, that she's mean for calling the police and not giving her a night. Like, what's he wrong about, I guess, that she's trying to begrudge DePesto on purpose? I never really understood that myself. Yeah, I, but- um, I just think that he's probably thinking that she's not maternal, she doesn't have children, therefore she doesn't understand how it is to have a baby. And you're begrudging Agnes a night with the baby. So why can't we wait till tomorrow? And as usual, he's always on Agnes's side. He always looks after her, defends her, looks after mm-hmm. her best interests. I agree with everyone here. I wouldn't say she's cold, but she's always like upright citizen. Do the right thing. Yeah. Call the police. <laughs> do this. Mm-hmm. And David obviously is more like, well, you know, there's more gray and she's very black and white. Black this and is white. how it's going to be. Yeah, that's true. Agree. Yeah. Thanks, April. Danielle wrote in the chat, I took this as a bigger picture, like, uh, like, please come around and please be softer and more receptive to the baby. She's being cold. Other people said he's looking for something from her here. Yeah. Maybe for her to soften up and not be so black and white. Yeah. That's probably a good point. And Vicky says she should call the police. What if the mother is looking for her baby? Yeah. Does anyone, it's a good question. Does anyone think that she should, they should have called the police by now. Mm. And Vicky says um, he's pushing her to feel more. Yeah. I mean, if it was in real life, you'd ring the police for sure. It's moonlighting. Yeah. We got to keep the plot going, everybody. (laughs) Fine. Fine. Good. Good. Give me a hint. Maddie. I want to know what it meant. I deserve to know what it meant. I heard it and it was about me. All right, you want to know what it meant? I'll tell you what it meant. It meant, right, that you are not about to wait till tomorrow morning to tell her because that would give her a whole evening of pleasure with that baby. And you are not about to give her a whole evening of pleasure with that baby because that would make you crazy. No, strike that crazier than you already are. That's a lie. Right. Stop that! And I do think what everyone's saying makes sense during the next scene when she's with the pesto underneath the tree because she really does soften towards the baby. She holds the baby. She's saying, he's always oh, beautiful, isn't he? And I guess you see that softer side of her in the next scene. Yeah, everybody already knows this, but I love Maddie Agnes scenes. How beautiful are they together? You know, Sybil and Bruce have got chemistry, but I think Sybil and Elise have chemistry as well. Different type of chemistry, obviously, but it's a chemistry nonetheless. When they're together, especially in this soft scene with the lighting, Christmas and the baby, I just love it. Yeah, I know it's very cozy. Yeah, and I guess... uh, you know, David said they can stay with you. I guess that's what was decided that Agnes and the baby would go to Maddie's house where there's more space. And she's just kind of cherishing her time with the baby underneath the tree. And yes, that whole scene is very sweet. Like, oh, we can share the baby. Why don't we share him? Share him? You know, and she gives Sybil the baby and really cute. And, um, you know, the talk about like babies and Christmas, you know, make up for a lot of the bad stuff. Christmas and children. They make up for a lot of the bad stuff. Mm. Sure do. Mm. Sybil does such a great job in this scene when 
she does like a transformation when yeah. she's holding the right. baby. She looks at Agnes and goes, you know, share him with you, huh? So and she's looking at the baby and she's looking at Agnes and wanna share him with me? Share him with you? Mm-hmm. Share him with me. It's Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Share him with you, huh? <laughs> yeah, so it's a lovely tender scene. And you know, Maddie looks really emotional and teary. She's starting to realise maybe babies aren't a bad thing. Maybe I should think about this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you can tell that Sybil is maternal, you know, and mm. likes that, you know, the baby and gives the baby something to play with with her necklace and all of that. I love when Agnes says, nothing better in the whole world than spending Christmas Eve under a tree with a baby waiting for Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Agnes asks her, did you find out anything? And Maddie changes her mind and doesn't want to tell her. So now I didn't yeah. find out a thing. And then Agnes yeah. seems, you know, making out that, oh, gee, that's too bad, you know, acting like she's upset about it, but disappointed. I mean, yeah. yes. But, you know, she and, gets to have the baby for another night. Yeah. Another note I put was um, this scene, I think, as kind of showing viewers what Maddie would look like with a baby, showing her maternal sign. Yeah. You know, because we, we get that nice shot of Maddie and the baby together. Really sweet scene. Yeah, it really is. And I really love the end of the scene when Agnes says, Merry Christmas, Mrs. Merry Christmas, Mr. Pesto. Mm-hmm. How sweet is that? That's the last thing I wrote. Sweet. Very sweet. And you're right. They're, they're, they're cute in a scenes together, Maddie and Agnes. Yeah, she let her guard down. That's right. You know, we do start to see the softer side. They stay at Maddie's for the night. Next morning, they go back to Agnes's apartment. And there's a, another, you know, cute line with, there's no one I'd rather have children with than you. <laughs> but you know what would have been good if when Maddie made that face, she should have turned to the camera <laughs> to say, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. David was the one who always turned to the camera when there was something strange happening. And that would have been good mm-hmm. if Sybil did that. Well, I put the baby was looking at the camera. The baby was definitely looking at like the camera and the boom mic and things like that. Oh, I didn't look at the baby, what he was looking at. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the baby, you could tell, was like, ah, what are all these people doing here? <laughs> so they go in and Agnes gets in the shower and um, Sybil sings Mockingbird. Yeah, she does a really good job of showing a bit of awkwardness holding the baby. Like, what do I do? Like, Yeah, maybe not acting super comfortable with it. Yeah. Uh, Grace, do we count um, Bruce and Sybil singing? Or just Bruce, because oh, just Sybil Bruce. Bruce yeah, okay. She never sings. <laughs> She's not a singy person. <laughs> well, she's singing no, I, here. I only count him. Yep. Oh, um, and the lyrics didn't really rhyme. Um, where was that April? That the lyrics didn't rhyme. Oh, uh, when she sings "Mockingbird." Oh, she messes it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I could tell the lyrics were not quite right, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, I think that they did that on purpose to show the awkwardness that she's not really a music person and she's not really a baby person either. So, yeah, it's just showing the awkwardness. Yeah. And it's probably I thought, well, as an actor, it could be hard to like have the baby. That's what don't they say, like, don't act with pets or children. You have to tend to the baby and you have to remember your lines and your singing like one extra thing to be aware of, I guess. All right. So Richard Belzer shows back up. What is his name, by the way, in the episode? Do we know? Leonard. Leonard. Okay. Some very Glenn dialogue here. This is when he actually says the 
cute bambine or the something little like bambine. that. Little yeah. bambine. Little bambine. Saw you and your friend coming through the lobby with this bambine, and I don't know if you heard, a man died in this building a couple nights ago. I love this line. Well, where's the little guy bunk? <laughs> where's the little guy bunk? That is so funny. I never heard anyone say that about a, a oh child. <laughs> and again, the camera is down on the floor. Seriously, yes. on the floor here. Yes, I know. These these uh, extreme cameras. <laughs> Peter Werner on the ground like this. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't even know how they get those big cameras that low. They're not small cameras back in that day, and they've no. got them on the ground for sure. So he's threatening. To me, this is all just so Glenn. Like, uh, my friend is in the shower. Drip dry suit. <laughs> oh, and he says, If you don't leave, I'll, I'll. The mind reels. Bruce says the mind reels in the pilot or something, right? No, I what... he says it in uh, Next Stop Murder on the train. He does? Okay. Yeah, so I, right. I um, took note of that because I thought of you straight away. I thought, oh, Sean is going to love this. Love this scene. Love this dialogue because she goes, if you don't leave, I'll, I'll. The mind reels. Mind reels, yeah. <laughs> Glenn might as well just have delivered this dialogue himself because it just sounds exactly like what everything he's <laughs> yeah, right. Mind reels. You know, I mean, <laughs> where's like the little guy bunk, the bambine? Yeah, and so, then he says anyway, a line we're... from another episode, and to all, what? a good night. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh, that's from Atomic. No. Um, right? You know, oh, 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 it's a wonderful job. It's a wonderful job. Yeah. Yes, you're right. He'll yes. be watching them. Yeah, he'll be watching you. He's taking a risk coming back to the building, though, isn't he? Seeing he's a killer. Yeah. Anyway, um, so Agnes appears singing, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. And this is a famous song from the movie and play South Pacific. And I know this song because my mother used to sing it to me believe it or not, yeah. from Rogers and Hammerstein. Hammerstein wrote the lyrics and Rogers wrote the music and yeah. it's from the movie, 1958 movie, South Pacific. Great movie. Yes. Um, well, Agnes comes out of the shower and Maddie tells her to get dressed and they're walking out the door pretty soon. You know, I noted like, oh, wow, Agnes's hair dried really fast. Uh, but Maddie is like suddenly like very protective of both of them. Yeah. Like, I don't know who he was. And I, you know, we don't need to be here. And the baby, this, and yeah, she's Maddie's whole demeanor has changed. She's like, we got to protect the baby. We have to get you out of here, get him out of here. I'm glad Maddie was there because Agnes might have given him the baby. Yeah. She said, maybe we should have given him the baby. And, and Maddie was like, no, no, no. All right. So we're back at the office. More funny dialogue about the mother being a killer. Yeah. And <laughs> you mean these mothers are killer? Maddie says that's what the investigators think. How awful. I hope that kind of thing isn't hereditary. We better make sure there's no guns or knives around the office. <laughs> and uh, and that the picture of the baby holding a gun or a knife, you know, like it's hereditary. He's going to like threaten them or something. It's really funny. And once again, when they get to Blue Moon, David is frantically looking for them. He's holding up the Santa's hotline to make phone calls for him. He's very upset about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. It's like in Portrait of Maddie when he's like, you know, I've called every hospital, called around, like, you know, he's always like frantically looking for her, you know, mm. making all these phone calls and stuff. It's kind of funny. <laughs> didn't turn into Rugrat, huh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, change of plans, change of everything. And then, you know, they do this yeah. whole thing where they, he, he says, turns them all around, leave yeah, Agnes behind. He says, look at you, change a couple of diapers and your whole disposition changes. And that's mm -hmm. when he grabs her by the arm away from Agnes and goes towards his office. 
There's someone I want you to meet. Somebody I want you to meet. What? Hang on to your suspension of disbelief. This one's a pit. <laughs> I'd like you to meet Thank Mary. <laughs> yeah. And th- yeah, this is where David's like three kings, Mary, Joseph, you know, and everything. And like, we got everything but a camel. And you know, she has the, the camel cigarettes really laying it on thick here. You guys getting this? This is, you know, like it's very Bethlehemish. <laughs> The whole thing's hilarious how he just pulls her aside and starts talking to Maddie. But Mary's like three or four feet away. Like, look, she can't hear them. Oh, I know. Yeah, exactly. You hear that? No room at the inns. So? So, a woman named Mary, a baby, three kings. Confidentially, I'm worried. About what? Maddie, I think we're trapped in an allegory. A what? I'm telling you, we got everything in this story except a camel. Anybody care for smoke? <clears throat> That's it. <laughs> and yeah, April says, and now Mary's wearing a cape. Like Joseph is wearing his robe. She's appropriately dressed for the occasion. Mm-hmm. And Maddie wants to talk to him outside. And um, he, is that what he says? It sounds like the call of the hall. No, not yet. No, not yet. Okay. That's in the next classic scene. <laughs> she left something with Mr. Pesto and she wants it back. Mm-hmm. And, of course, yeah. they step out of the office to have a discussion. Of course, she wants to call the police. All right. So Maddie wondering what they can do. Well, she doesn't want to give her the baby because she's suspected of murder. Suspected, Maddie, suspected. And this is where we have that classic scene where she's trying to call the police and he's imitating her. (laughs) I mean, this scene is like Sybil talks at some point about Bruce and her. It's like um, diving off a cliff. The timing of it has to be perfect. Like where they meet on the dialogue because they'll say different things but meet in the same place at the same time. I know. Yeah, the scene is perfect. I mean, I, it's amazing if you watch it just over and over again. It's like, how do they do that? You know, yeah. like the physical comedy, the timing of it, the dialogue matching, how fast they deliver it. And I'm watching yeah, the extras, the staff, and obviously they're not allowed to smile. And I'm watching them thinking, you know, how sometimes you somebody's trying to stop themselves from laughing and you can see that happening. <laughs> um, but that Chris, the ones yeah. in the corner, she's behind them and she's she's just staring at them. But when you think about it, it's probably the 20th take. So it's probably not funny anymore for them. Yeah, I, I do wonder like how many takes they'd have of that. And I mean, yeah, certainly not one. It would take a while, I think, to get it timed out perfectly. Well, I'm not giving that baby to a woman suspected of murder. Suspected, Maddie, suspected. Doesn't that word mean anything? My to mind you? is made Don't up. Don't you think you at least owe the courtesy of listening to her anything. story? What are you doing? I'm doing what I should have done, done all along. along. What I wanted to do, do originally. originally. What I should have done last, last night. Stop that, David. I'm calling the, the police, David. Hello, Hello, police. I hate you. And he says, you love me. Yeah. This is where I think there's a door wrangler. It's a great entry back into the office when he does the old swingaroo. You know, he turns around and sits down and the door slams open. And I reckon there's somebody on the floor shutting that door because I don't think that door would have shut. yeah. Yeah. A lot of physical comedy. But also you can tell in this scene, it's filmed over like three different days and you can tell by Sybil's hair. Sybil's yes. hair changes from the outer yes. office to his inner office. And then when they're outside the door again, going to talk to DePesto. Mary explains that her husband was thrown over the balcony by a man and Maddie's really upset now because she's, oh my God, you saw the whole thing. And Mary said, Agnes seemed sweet and kind. That's why I left Andrew with her. And then Maddie Calls him out into the hall again. And that's when he says, sounds like the call of the hall. So the difference between her walking out of that office and getting out into the outer office, her hair is flat inside the office 
And when they walk out, her hair is all volumized. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And part of it, you know, when she opens the door, when, um, you know, to see if the pesto is there and the, the pesto and the baby are gone, half of her hair is like falling. Now it looks like half straight and half curled up and half pinned up. I don't know. It just, just looks like a long day to me. But um, Danielle says, uh, you're right, because the scenes were revised over a three-day period. Four oh. day. Is that, is that in the script? It's in the script because it says when they're revised at the top. So December 6th was when they go in to the office with Mary. And then the I hate you, you love me is the 10th. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Four days. Yes. Four see? Days. Yeah, you can see it in them. That's crazy. Yeah. They had to work hard on those scenes for, for four days. And yeah, you can see it in them. Yeah. I know. Love that you have those scripts in them. I think we need you with us at every podcast to tell us. I love that. They're finally useful. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you have all of them? That's cool. Fantastic. Do you have them like filed away or do you? They have been with me for literally 20 years, but yeah, I have them. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Terrific. Uh, Thank you. They're definitely coming in handy. Love it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's really cool. We're in the outer office now and when her hair's volumized and she's like that poor woman. And he says, you mean the murderer? So she's like, so what do we do now? Again, he wants to call the police to protect her. And of course, Maddie looks across to her office and says, I'm not looking forward to telling Mr. Pesto. And it's really nice here how he says to her, do you need some company? And he touches her on the shoulder and she says, no, I can do it myself. And there's because, a big yes. close-up here of Maddie when she goes into her office and she realizes Agnes and the baby are missing. And she goes back to David and he's telling Mary a joke, like her husband's oh, I know. been killed. <laughs> yeah, he's just trying to lighten the moment. He's telling her a joke about the priest, the rabbi, and the minister are all playing golf. Yeah. And it's a great ending to this scene. I love this. It's just the best ending. And he just opens the door a little bit and he goes. David, he's gone. Gone. Andrew and DePesto, they vanished. Barry, later on the joke, babe. Mm-hmm. Babe, he says babe, babe again. I know, yeah. A couple um, things about this part. The name Andrew is where it kind of starts to fall apart as far as like, oh, you know, him getting wrapped up in this whole, I guess they're calling it an allegory. You know, he's like, Andrew, huh? Oh, you know, because it's like Mary, Joseph and everybody. So Andrew, where, you know, where that kind of fantasy kind of starts to fall apart. What was he hoping yeah. the baby was called Jesus? Yeah, yeah, Jesus or something. Jesus. What was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, um, the talk in the hallway about how she has to bring it to the pesto reminds me of Rainbow, which is like, we'll do it together. Who's going to tell her, break it to the leprechaun that wasn't real? Yeah, later on the joke, babe, and all that. It's really funny. And anything? Um, let's see. Um, the script, yes, Shauna was so right on David Bruce using the babe thing swagger. Yes, I know, definitely, <laughs> especially when he says it to men because uh, he, he can pull it off with the swagger. No joke. Um, oh, here, okay, so now we're at DePesto's and they're DePesto, DePesto, are you here? Are you here? Now, here's my question, Grace <laughs> Does the rhyme on the fridge count as a rhyme? Oh, I didn't count it. <laughs> Uh, I'll have to leave it up to our Moonies to decide that because Agnes didn't say it, but she I know, wrote but she it. Did write it. She did write it. Rhyme. Yes. Yeah. Do we count <laughs> this rhyme? One person says it counts. <laughs> it counts. Count it. Count it. <laughs> okay. 
Good. All right. Where's my? I can't find my highlighter. Get that highlighter. I wish I was that creative. Putting my grocery list together with those rhymes. I know. I know. <laughs> me too. That'd be fun. Every time you go to the grocery store to rhyme it all. <laughs> so he checks the fridge. Get us some lettuce. Grab us some steak. Remember the cheese, please, and a box of Frosted Flakes. How good is that? It's good. I gather Frosted Flakes are cereal. Yes, it is. You're right. All right. Let me highlight this. Mooney's said I have to count. <laughs> I have to count the rhyme. Yeah. Got to update the, the moonlighting stats. Okay. So we have two rhymes so far. Uh, another where's the pesto and you know what we have to do and another breaking the fourth wall here with uh, we have to wrap it up in 12 minutes. Another show's coming on. He says that at exactly the 30 minute mark. Okay. So isn't it usually about 49 minutes? I thought this one seemed a little shorter on YouTube. I think it might be 41. But oh, okay. Can, that actually seems pretty short. I don't know. I have to, I'd have to look at it again. Commercials, yeah, maybe because of commercials, but just of show left, you know, without commercials. Maybe it was about 12 minutes without commercials. Yep. I like this scene. Of course, David is making sense. Like, what are you going to tell the police? You, you might have it written down. Yeah. 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 So. <laughs> She's trying to make her phone call. Yeah. He says this so well as well. I'll put the snippet in, but he says, David. Maddie, you're going to call the police department and tell them we found the child that has no mother, went looking for the mother, found the mother, lost the child. As long as I got you on the phone, I seem to have misplaced my secretary. Oh, and by the way, that I happen to mention, I'm a private detective. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it is true. It's like, what are you going to say when you get the police on the phone? And it's gotten so convoluted by now. Yeah. And of course, what do we love the most about this scene? The hand holding. Oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> he takes her hand and they walk out together. Yeah. And David, uh, David spins out the door, Grace. Yeah, I know. He spins out the door like he did in um, Gunfight yeah. when he goes into that yeah, building. Was, he's trying to find a client. Yeah. He does yeah. that swing. So good. Yeah. Okay. Then we're back in the car. Back car in talk. the car again. <laughs> they must have had to catch up on time because they've got three car talks. <laughs> And this time, oh gosh, now we have to refer to season five again. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's Christmas Eve in a couple hours and you know, so much going on. She didn't get him a gift and that's okay because he didn't have time to get her anything either. So anyway, then they're talking about, oh, some Christmas and where's the pesto? If it was Bethlehem, he'd know where to look. The big guy had put a star in the sky. And then Maddie knows. Yeah, that's when she has an aha moment, just like um, Jessica Fletcher does in Murder, She Wrote, when somebody says something and she goes, I know who the murderer is. She's realised where <laughs> she's realised where Mr Pesto is. She's under the star in the sky. And how big is her tree? Oh, I know, it's huge. It's like, it's massive. It's like two trees put together. Oh, it's beautiful. And the star, really good. Yeah. I like how when she says, a star in the sky, she's worked out where Mr. Pesto is and he shakes his head like that, like um, like, like a Looney Tunes sort of cartoon. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then she says, David, will you do a favor for me? Okay. So Judy says, do you count the song at the end? Explain, Judy. I'm not sure what you mean by that. But uh, she also says, didn't Maddie have a bunch of presents under her tree? Yeah, I was going to get so to that. Yeah. Yeah, so who are the presents for? The kids' presents too. Who the hell are they for? Have she got nieces and nephews we don't know about? What's going on? Yeah, but they'd be in Chicago, wouldn't they? Yeah, they would be. She's got nieces and nephews because she doesn't have any siblings. Hmm. Cousins, cousin Annie. 
She's got a cousin, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, maybe the office workers. I don't know. Yeah, she didn't have time to shop for David. Um, that was when you were talking about how much time was left in the, in the show when he says that they have to wrap it up in 12 minutes. Do we count the song? I don't know. Oh, yeah, I do. Right. I just count the whole episode. Yeah. As what? You know, like if he says there's 12 minutes left to the episode, the episode ends in 49 minutes, including the song. Oh. I include the song. Oh, do you? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. Okay. I would count that then. Yes. Yeah. I think that was to the end of the episode, including the song. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't get this whole thing. Somebody's going to have to explain it to me because she what? says, David, uh, would you do something for me? And he says, wait a minute, you said you knew where they were. And she says, like you said, a star in the sky will guide us right to them. So we're in Maddie's lounge room. So why has she asked him to act as Santa coming down the chimney? For the baby? Because DePesto said that she was sitting waiting for Santa to come. Oh, okay. She's done that for Agnes and the baby. That's what I'm thinking, the baby under the tree. Okay. So has she called the three kings as well? I don't know, because she wouldn't have known that Leonard was there. Yeah. I think the three kings were watching, you know, it's moonlighting. They had to wrap up the plot, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes, makes moonlighting sense. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> you got to wrap it up in 12 minutes. It makes moonlighting sense. I love it, it makes moonlighting sense, yeah. <laughs> I think I'll use that. I'm going to steal that off you, Danielle. Yeah, it makes moonlighting sense, yeah. I'm going to use um, it. So Maddie finds Agnes under the tree with the baby, lovely tender scene, really nice blue lighting in the background, very Jerry. Maddie's repeating what Agnes said earlier about being under the tree at Christmas with the baby. And Agnes keeps saying Miss Hayes and she'd say something, oh, Miss Hayes, Miss Hayes. You could tell there's something wrong with Agnes, but we don't know what. Hello, Mr. Pesto. Hello, Miss Hayes. Took me a while to figure out where you were and what you were doing. Miss Hayes. Spending Christmas Eve under a tree with a baby. Miss Hayes. Waiting for Santa Claus. Oh, Miss Hayes. I really do know how you feel. Christmases and children, they do make up for a lot of the bad stuff. Oh, Miss Hayes. But this baby is not ours. But Miss Hayes. I'm sorry, Agnes. But his mother's waiting for him back at the office. Terrific. Why don't you give her a call and ask her to come over? And of course, Leonard appears and Agnes explains that he followed her. Mm -hmm. Maddie says, the baby and my friend are waiting for Santa Claus. And, of course, Leonard's like, You'll, they'll be waiting a long time. <laughs> so then you hear a ho, ho, ho come down the chimney. How good <laughs> is he as Santa? Oh, my gosh, I know. He's great as Santa. And this is probably one of the, the best lines that they slipped past the censors. <laughs> you know, <laughs> definitely. Probably running late on this one. They couldn't catch all the lines, but... Uh... I just want you to know there is no one else I would do this for. That is the last time I jam myself into a tight hole with clothes on. <laughs> yep. I think even Bruce oh. has said, like, I don't know I don't know how we got that one past censors. Yeah. Oh, so there are that one so was... many, so many things got past censors. Because it was too fast. That I wouldn't have even noticed. Like, and it was Santa. And, yeah, who knows, like, how they got that one past, you know. But, yes, one of the best lines. Everyone loves that line. Yeah, such good writing. I like how David stands up and he looks and he sees these two guys pointing two guns at him. Now, this is no way to impress Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> and he barks at one of them. He barks sometimes. Oh, at the end, at the henchman. Oh, he does. Yeah, right. I, yeah. I'm ahead of myself. Sorry. 
all this slapstick comedy begins. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It gets so slapstick. <laughs> They're like shooting, you know, and it's just you. the pillows have little bullet holes. They got little bullet holes. These guys have got guns, but they're throwing little plastic things at their faces and a suction cap on his forehead. And yeah, the, the dolls. And yeah, yes, it's very, very, very silly, but fun. Yeah. You know, moonlighting, like Len said, they would just try anything. And yeah, they just made it fun. You're right, you know, Judy. So silly, fun. Yeah, so silly, but fun. And of course, well, they win, I guess, with the help of the three kings flying through the window. Even Agnes is there, but Agnes kind of disappears. Where's the baby? They kind of appear and disappear yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I noticed yeah. that she's holding the baby in the first bit. And then the next cut, she's not there. And then after that, she's there without the baby. Don't know what she does with the baby, but anyway. Yeah. So April says, love the car tripping him. Yes, that part is really funny. And Danielle says, uh, I love when Glenn says, no one and nothing, you know, is ever in jeopardy. Like everyone knows that Sybil and Bruce aren't in jeopardy except for their hearts. Only their hearts are in jeopardy. Yeah. He like, he said that when we interviewed him too, he was like, well, I don't think anybody was really, no one was really thinking anyone was going to be harmed. Ultimately, of course, we know Bruce Willis isn't going to die and Sybil Shepard's not going to die and they're going to be back next week. Yeah. When she's talking to the stuffed animals, what? You miss her already? And throws them. That's really funny. It's funny. It's just everything. It's just so silly. Just cute. Yeah, when she's talking to the stuffed animal, the unicorn, you miss him? I'll throw you as well. Yeah, it's really uh-huh. funny. But I like how Maddie uh-huh. and David are a united front here. For sure. I love the sound effects the editor adds in post-production. Oh, yeah. When Leonard removes the suction cap from his head, it goes boing, you know. Oh, boing, yeah. <laughs> the three kings come in to save the day and one of them even comes out of the chimney and it's like, drop it, drop it, drop it. Yeah. I recognize those crowns anywhere. <laughs> but the best thing is he bumps into Leonard with his big fat stomach and says, take a load off. <laughs> and then he barks. And that's the end of the scene. As someone mentioned, Maddie growls and he barks. Yeah. That's a great end to that scene. And then we're back at Blue Moon and another insult. I just had a thought. There's a first. <laughs> And I remember first watching this, obviously many years ago, but him walking in and then her response and then she gets up. She never gets up, right? She always sits there and goes, what do you want? What do you want now? What Mm -hmm. are you annoying me for? But in this case, she gets up, walks with him out to the outer office. I'm like, why is she doing that? (laughs) Because it's convenient. That's why. Think about it for a minute. Santa's hotline. Mary and Joseph's story, the way the office is decorated. You think this could be the Christmas episode? You know, it just might be. Nah, couldn't be the Christmas episode. There's no snow. Then the snow starts to fall. And then we kind of change from Maddie and David to Sybil and Bruce. Yeah, and somebody throws him the mistletoe and he grabs it with his left hand. And they kiss under the mistletoe. So nice. I love this scene. I know. Yeah. Yes, How can you not love it. this scene? Seriously. I know. It's just a moment in time, you know? Yeah, Bruce's left hand of it, right? What does this, the script say, Danielle? The script is pretty vague. So it just says they go out into the outer office and they go out the door and it becomes the warehouse and everybody sings. And it's the song, the lyrics to the first Noel. And that's oh, wow. it. It's really vague. Okay. And it was planned from the beginning because it's 12 6. The scene was written oh. way before, like, most of the rest of the episode. Okay. 
So are you saying that it was planned that all the cast and crew would be in the scene? Yes. It says that, yes, that is in here. I can send it to you if you want to put it up for everybody. And it's hard to read, but yes, it -hmm. says everyone, the script supervisor, director, everyone. So that would be Peter Warner, Jay Daniel. Everybody is out there. And then it says camera gets higher and higher. We see more people, hundreds of them filling the soundstage. Crane higher, but they calls the Maddie and David and not Sybil and Bruce. And then it says everybody say Merry Christmas. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because when you listen to the commentary, you get the impression that it was at short notice, but maybe it was the extended family, the actual people's close family that was given short notice. Because maybe initially it was only the cast and crew that was supposed to be in that scene, but then they've asked their families to come in. Whatever you say. Yeah. I I I don't know. No, all I know is it just says hundreds of them. And I don't know if that's just Glenn being Glenn or that's what it says, though. Mm. I don't know. (laughs) Good. Thank you, Danielle. It's good. Sure. Yeah, I remember Glenn saying that they called all the family and friends down to be in it. And he made it sound like it was kind of last minute, but that could be his memory because things were always kind of rushed. And then they told them to keep singing the song over and over again so they could get everybody on camera. So I think that they sang it multiple times and with the amount of snow, you can kind of see that because sometimes there's not a lot of snow and sometimes there's tons of snow. So mm-hmm. from what he said, it sounded like they sang it again and again and again. They just kept singing it until they you know, got enough footage of everybody singing so they could kind of have a footage of everybody's family cast and crew. So a few observations about when they go into that area, they pass by Peter Werner, who's you know leaning down, Jerry Finneman's in the background. And the camera pans over and sees everybody. And then Peter Werner goes and joins his wife and the child, I think. And then you see Clementine and her nanny and Elise joins on the right-hand side. But what I always notice is Vincent Chiavelli, who was Agnes's husband, he's not there for most of it. But then there's a close-up of him behind Agnes going, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't there. So unless they've done a little separate take just for them, I don't know. Or he just showed up late. Maybe he showed up at the end of it or something. He might have showed up at the end, yeah, because Richard Belts is there and one of the three kings. But I can't see any of the moonlighting staff because they walk they walk out with them, but they don't I don't see them in the shot. Do does anybody see them in the shot? Well, you see Glenn and you see his wife, you see Jay and his wife. Jay and his wife, the Mandelbergs are there. You can see Peter Werner. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'd recognize a lot of the other people, like you mean like Jerry Fennerman and stuff like that? Or? No, I'm sorry. I'm talking about the moonlighting extras, you know, the staff, the moonlighting. Oh, the extras. Yeah. I don't know. They follow them out, but yeah. when it pans over, they don't join the crowd. Not that I can see, but anyway. Too many people I thought- <laughs> looking for the I office know. workers. <laughs> I know. Yeah, too many people. I know. You can see Bruce's mom. Bruce's mom is there, and there's a, a younger person standing next to her. I don't know who that might be. But anyway, yeah, so after the kiss under the mistletoe and they're walking out, of course, you know, things I noticed that I love is like Sybil and Bruce, how they're holding hands. Yeah. And um, to me, it is very much them. And they're kind of like, you know, oh, wow, look at all these people, you know, just in the moment. Like, well, this is pretty exciting and pretty cool that everyone's here and we're singing the song. So I was messaging with Clementine back and forth about coming on the show. And um, the one thing she did say is um, the only thing that she really remembers, and she was only like seven, is that as standing with her nanny and being told not to talk to her mom. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was that. thinking that while I'm watching it, I'm thinking they must have told her not because it would have been automatic for her to just run up to her mother. Yeah. Seemed like it. Yeah. And she was there with her nanny who's standing behind her. Sybil talks about her in, in her book. Yeah. She is singing very earnestly. She really seemed like she was in her cute little outfit and like really singing the song and all that stuff. I must admit, yeah. I just I just tear up at the end of this episode. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas everybody. everybody. Merry It is such a moment in time, like something that's very unlikely to ever happen again. And the whole breaking of the fourth wall and just the, you know, just singing the Christmas song and yeah, everyone's uh, family, family gather there together, the staff and all of that unified. And then of course the, um, the kiss and the hug between Sybil and Bruce again, super sweet. It's all such a great and very unique piece of television. And the sequence goes for three minutes and 36 seconds. Yeah. And it's kind of fun just to see, I mean, we see the warehouse where they film in other episodes, but it is kind of fun to see that whole, you know, from blue moon and the hallway and panning around to the warehouse, the crew and everybody standing there and all that. Anything else to say about the end of that episode or the episode in general? Going back to the very first uh, scene section where the, she finds the Agnes comes back to her apartment and finds the baby. He was kind of like in the manger. That's why he was in that little laundry basket. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, major. Yeah, yeah, very true. Yes, I never thought of the old style manger. You're right. Yeah, that's true. Yes, good observation. Yeah, anything else, Danielle? Did you have something? Oh, I was just gonna. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, I'm a Glenn groupie. I, I guess maybe most of us are, but like. I feel like the script is really cool in the sense that it it really does really stick close to the birth story. And it, it I kind of want Glenn to teach like a Christianity and modern text class because he weaves that through, like through a ton of episodes. And it, I don't know, it's just, he does it really well. And I just, that's all I wanted to say, but yeah, that's true. In, how you can, like, in God. Wrap, yeah. Yes. How you can wrap a modern story around the tale of Christmas. We've talked about this before too. Um, Grace and I like, Glenn was only what, 29 or something, 28, 29. And, you know, there was no internet in that day or whatever. And his knowledge of language and his references, his knowledge of references and history and things like that. The things like, I mean, he wrote like very short notice. He didn't have a lot of time to research these things. He just knows them and puts them in and all the double meanings of words and all of that stuff is just. It's genius, inspiring. Right? And yeah, it's yeah. just, it's, it's just deep. It's really good. <laughs> yes, Exactly. And that's what it is to be a writer. One of my other favourite writers is Aaron Sorkin. If, if you ever watch any of his movies or TV shows, if you, like West Wing, a lot of it's in Iambic Pentameter as well. But obviously not as complicated as Atomic Shakespeare, though. To be a writer, it's a gift because you've got to have a lot of knowledge of different things in so many different aspects of life. So yeah. it's a credit yeah. to them. It's a credit to them. He's amazing. Yeah. And we tried to tell him that when we interviewed him as well, like the, the double meanings always, it's like, he doesn't miss one, you yeah. know, even with like mourning and all the different ways that you can like have that as a double meaning and just so many others. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's so many references and so many things that you can catch in there. As we know, speaking of references, the title is from Twas the Night Before Christmas or A Visit from St. Nicholas, first published anonymously in the Troy, New York Sentinel, on December 23, 1823, by Clement Clark Moore. 
it was also an animated cartoon in 1974. Hmm. And our little helper elf drew two names to our winners tonight for the merchandise. Judith Dunphy, Judy, <laughs> can you see it? Hey, Judy. And, and Rosa Rista. Oh, Rosa. Congratulations, yeah, Judy, Judy and Rosa. Yeah, we can pick out a t-shirt with whatever you want on it and we will have it shipped off to you. Thanks, Steph. <laughs> yes, for those of you who might have joined a bit late, you may not know that Clementine and Greg pulled out at the last minute. So what we've done to compensate for that, we've announced two winners to win a Moonlighting merchandise t-shirt with an image of your choice. Just thought I'd clarify that. We've got, we've got two winners. Yes, thank you guys so much. I know. When is the next one? We will. <laughs> I feel like we need to do this every week. And we definitely need Danielle and her scripts. <laughs> I'm in. Uh, yeah. Anything Can else, Grace? I just say, is anybody here that's not from the United States? Apart from Rose, I know Rose is here in Melbourne with me. Oh, cool. Oh, uh, Katie, I spoke to you the other night, didn't yeah. I? Yeah, I'm from England, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so thank you for coming on because she messaged me and asked me what the UK time would be and I said it'd be midnight and she's like, bugger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. It's been so nice and uh, it's just lovely talking about moonlight after all these years. Yeah, Lovely. Know, and yeah. Did you have your nap? You said you were going to have a nap first. and I had an then- afternoon nap. <laughs> I was going to get on the wine, but I thought I might go a bit too fast or so I've been a good girl. <laughs> you look yeah. quite awake quite awake it's got to take some coming down yeah. now <laughs> yeah bed. yeah i really appreciate you coming on that's great thank, thank you, you so much the commitment the <laughs> dedication i love it <laughs> <laughs> fabulous i know the dedication the moonlighting after all these years yeah oh i know it's yeah. just wonderful nothing's ever competed to moonlighting has it no 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 sure to me no shows ever yeah no, because I was only eight when it started, and the minute I saw the first episode, I was just addicted. Mm. <laughs> it grabs you; it really grabs you. And I know a lot of people have seem to have similar stories where watched it, maybe took a break for a little bit, or forgot about it, or life goes on, you know, kind of thing. And then you um, catch an episode again, or you remember it and start watching again. It just like grabs you again, yeah. like it has this pull, a real pull to it, you know. So it is; it's really addicting, and it's such a great escape. You know, can always escape into moonlighting and. The world yeah. of Maddie and David. That was a wonderful Christmas episode. It's always a good watch. It's always a pretty good go-to episode with a, a murder at Christmas, a missing baby and, a, and mother, Santa's hotline, Maddie wanting to scrape David at the bottom of her shoe, Joseph, Mary, the three kings and a camel, Santa Claus, a speedy rhyme from Agnes, Maddie and David trapped in an allegory, overlapping dialogue, the usual call of the hall, David telling Mary a bad joke, a star in the sky, a Santa Claus David coming down the chimney, some slapstick comedy with the villains, Maddie and David under the mistletoe, and a wonderful ending with cast and crew. How good was that episode? A plus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Danielle. Yes, it is a lot of work, but we do love it. (laughs) I'll do the Moonlight stats. So there's two door slams. And one feet out of the elevator, no singing. Bruce, however, Maddie attempted twice to sing. And now I have to change this because we have two rhymes from Agnes, not one, which makes it 9.5 Agnes rhymes so far. And I had three outfit changes. Yeah, for Sybil. Moonlight stats so far from the beginning. 
We have 40 door slams. They're accumulating quickly. We have 10 feet out of the elevator and we have 9.5 Agnes Rhymes. Uh-huh. And I haven't gone back and checked the outfit changes from the beginning. It's now time for Moonlight Mail. Got a letter to read from a fan named Shoshana. And she wrote us and said, Hi, I've been meaning to write and tell my moonlighting story. I first heard of moonlighting in the late 90s when my high school jazz choir sang the moonlighting theme. Underneath the song title, it said, From Moonlighting. My parents told me they used to watch the show and liked it. But I never actually saw it until the summer of 2002 when it was in reruns on the Bravo Network at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. That summer, I was home from college and worked at a preschool camp until 1 p.m. I would come home exhausted and sit in front of the TV. It was back in the days when one would flip the channels to find something to watch. Do people still do that? And I found Moonlighting. I started watching because I remembered singing the theme song and that my parents said they liked it. But soon I was hooked. It's weird that I was hooked because I started watching it in season four. That's just where it was airing. But even though David and Maddie were rarely seen together in these episodes, that there was something about the show. Finally, it looped back around to the first season. I saw the first three seasons. I'm kind of glad I started with season four, though. No disappointment and only good episodes ahead. I had been into TV shows before, but never like this. I found myself caring about these characters and their happiness more than I had with other shows. Plus, I loved the breaking of the fourth wall and the meta-ness of it. I had never seen that before, and it made so much sense to me that a TV show would know it's a TV show. I taped most of the episodes on VHS and brought them back to my college with me, making my friends watch them. I then bought all the DVD sets as they came out. After finishing that first watch through, I watched favorite episodes on special occasions and did moonlighting watch nights with friends who either loved moonlighting or let me introduce it to them. I never watched the whole series again until now. In the fall of 2020, I introduced my partner to the show and we watched the pilot together. He liked it enough to continue with it. So we slowly made our way through the first season, watching an episode every few months or so. But then when this podcast came out, it made sense to align our watching with the podcast. So now we are in sync with the podcast episodes. It's amazing to me that I haven't seen some of these episodes in 20 years. There are some really good ones that I'd forgotten about. It's been so great to do this rewatch with the podcast, both because I am introducing my partner to my favorite show and also because I'm part of the Moonlighting fan community while I do it. I'm glad we're all on this journey together. Oh, and I still sing the jazz choir alto harmony to the Moonlighting theme each time it comes on. Thank you, Shoshana. Wow, what a great email, Shoshana. She's got some great memories of Moonlighting. I know, what a journey with the show. And that's just since uh, 2002. Some of us have started started back in the 80s, you know, but she's already got like a lifetime with it. That's true. Yeah, we really appreciate people that take the time to write an email. It's a lot of thoughts. And it's amazing once you start writing, the things you start remembering and everything starts flushing, flushing back. Yeah, definitely. By the way, Grace, Rosa is asking you if you remember that Moonlighting was originally shown at 8.30 p.m. every Tuesday night during the 80s. No, Rosa, thank you for that because I know it was at 8.30 because you guys have 9 o'clock. Ours was always 8.30. I couldn't remember what day of the week it was or what channel. What channel was it on, Rosa? Do you know? I reckon it was Channel 9. Yep. Channel Channel 9, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was a Tuesday night. Okay. Because I remember I used to come home, I couldn't wait to watch it. And Tuesday night, it was also Seinfeld for us. (laughs) Oh, 
Okay. Right. Thanks, Rosa, for that, because I've been wondering. Um, is this in your top 10? This episode is not in my top 10, unfortunately. No, me either. Yeah. What about out of the two Christmas episodes, which one do you like better? Do you like Twas or do you like It's a Wonderful Job? I'm probably more It's a Wonderful Job because of the reference to It's a Wonderful Life, the movie, Frank Capra movie. Tugs at the heartstrings and I think I'm more towards that. But I won't tell you if that's in my top 10 yet. <laughs> All right. Danielle says job. Judy says twas. What, which one do I like better? <laughs> I like both. I like both too. And you know, they're both just different and enjoyable in different ways, you know? They're very much different, yeah. Your kids like, yeah, Danielle's kids like twas. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'd, if I was pushed, I guess I'd say job. I guess if I had to choose between the two. I don't know. But I like both. I agree. Yeah, Twas is probably yeah more kid friendly, of course, with the ending and the Santa Claus and yeah, just following the story of Christmas and everything. What episode are we going to be talking about next week, Shauna? We are going to be talking about the Bride of Tupperman, season two, episode eleven, where we have the biggest bigamist in bigamy history. Ooh, you're good. Spoiler alert! All right, everyone, thank you so much. It was really a lot of fun. Always great to meet fellow Moonies. And thanks for all your support. Thank you for all your help with the references. Thank you, Danielle, for the scripts. Thank you, guys, for coming on. I think it's fantastic you've come in and joined in. Thank you, Danielle, for your input with the scripts. Thanks for all your comments. It's been wonderful to put a face to the names. Thank you so much for joining us. And we hope you join us again. We're not sure when. It'll be sometime down the track. Shauna's good at choosing which episode we should discuss for a live event. So we'll leave that up to her. We've had a great time. We're definitely going to do this again. And we love what we do, don't we, Shauna? And we sure do. (laughs) How much fun. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Night, everybody. Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank Thank you you for for listening listening to to Moonlighting the Podcast. Christmas, Mr. Pesto. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.